You can turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Psalm 42 and, um, and also Psalm 43. We'll look at those two together this morning. And they, uh, the, the whole text is also printed in the bulletin. Psalms 42 and 43. These two psalms belong together. I think scholars, uh, at least some scholars, think it was originally written as one psalm and somehow got split up. Um, uh, whatever the case, we've got them as numbered uh, two different psalms, but they really do belong together. They form a single song with three stanzas, so three sort of main parts uh, of roughly equal length, uh, each one ending with the same basic refrain, which might be familiar to a lot of us. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God etc., and so forth. So, um, so this song, these two psalms together, taken as one song, was uh, written by the sons of Korah. That's what it says in the little, uh, the title that's printed there. The sons of Korah, it was a certain family line of Levites. You remember the Levites were the priests. Uh, so the sons of Korah were um, called out in the scriptures, actually, as a, a sort of family line among those priests, the Levitical priests in ancient Israel, uh, who served in particular as musicians, writers of psalms, uh, liturgical leaders in the temple. They wrote 11 songs in psalms, uh, including this as one combined one. Um, and I think the best way to get a sense of sort of the setting for this song uh, is to see it against the backdrop of something like Second Kings chapter 14, which I know it's just like right there on the top of your head, all of you. Second uh, Kings 14 actually is mentioned fairly briefly, um, but I think it's a good help for us to um, see this, this psalm against a backdrop like that. The land is divided. Remember, um, uh, divided after King Solomon into the northern kingdom, uh, the, the tribes of Israel uh, that split away from uh, the tribe of Judah. So you've got the northern kingdom is called Israel, and then the southern kingdom is called Judah where Jerusalem is and where the temple is. The land is divided. The nation's broken. There's civil war uh, between the north and the south. And what you have basically is brothers who are turned against one another as adversaries, as enemies. So the king of the north is what you find in 2 Kings 14. The king of the north, the king of Israel, defeats the king of the south, the king of Judah. He marches into Jerusalem... He destroys the wall, leaving the city vulnerable, open to attack. He sacks the temple. He seizes all the gold and silver and all the vessels of the temple, the holy vessels of the temple. And he takes hostages from among the servants of the temple, which probably would include people like the sons of Korah who wrote the psalm, um, presumably carrying them off as they, they're taken hostage, carrying them off to the north, to the northern kingdom, to the far northern Regions uh, where there's Mount Hermon up there near the headwaters of the, the Jordan River. So basically that is to say things are really not the way that they're supposed to be. And we should keep that in mind as we read this psalm. Let me pray and we'll read it. Father, we pray that you would meet us where we are, that your spirit would do his work in each heart and mind in this room, that you would draw us into relationship with yourself in such a way that we can hear you, hear from you, uh, that we can, in a sense, see you with the eyes of faith, that we would come to know you 
and trust you and follow you more deeply, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, as I read, there are a few places where I've, in in what's printed in the bulletin, uh, departed from the ESV translation, I think, uh, in just a more literal way for our help. So, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and see the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the face of my salvation. My God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with murder in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him the face of my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the face of my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think... We hear a verse uh, like verse 2 there at the beginning of the reading. It says, my soul thirsts for God. My soul thirsts for God. Or when we hear Jesus say things uh, like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think we tend to imagine sort of an achingly beautiful devotion. Right? Something bittersweet. Have you ever been thirsty I mean really thirsty for water. Really thirsty. Like like wilderness backpacking on a hot August afternoon in the high desert of central Oregon with a 50-pound backpack on, shambling like a zombie for five miles without water, looking for any trickle, any trickle in the landscape where you can 
you can find water to fill your empty bottle. That kind of thirsty. Have you ever been that kind of thirsty? I mean, I, uh, I know it's, it's a self-inflicted first world kind of problem. Uh, backpacking in the wilderness, going without water for five miles on a hot day. Um, that's probably the closest thing I've experienced. What I'm saying is real thirst is not pleasant. It's not pleasant. Real thirst drives you to distraction. You can't think straight. And desperation. You've only got one thing on your mind. We need water. And when you really feel that need, well, did you know you could die from that? Apparently. I mean, who knew? You can die from thirst. And that's the kind of thing that this song is about. Thirsting for God. It can drive you to distraction and desperation. And God knows that that's a place we find ourselves in. And he's provided this song for us to sing when we're in that place, to sing from that place, to keep us going through the wilderness until we can drink of him again. The song gives expression to, um, I think it's a serious tension, it's a common tension in the lives of believers. On the one hand, we've experienced something of God's reality, His presence. We know something of God's salvation. We know something of His restoration and His renewal. We've heard Jesus' promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age. But on the other hand, we're still longing to see God face to face. That longing grows greater and greater through this life. We desperately want him to wipe away every tear, to put an end to all of our sufferings. We cannot wait for him to make all things new, to make all things right in his presence forever. So we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good, but we're really thirsty for so much more of him. Our thirst... To be in his presence is probably amplified, probably made worse, actually, because we've already had a little sip of heaven. If we'd gone without that little taste of heaven, maybe we wouldn't know exactly what it is we're we're thirsting and longing for, what it is we're missing in this life. As it says in verse 4, 42, 4, it says, I would go with the throng and lead them in procession, to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. It's like a little picture of heaven. And he's tasted that. But things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We find ourselves in a world that's full of, as this passage says, ungodly, deceitful, unjust people, broken relationships, brothers who are at war against each other, adversaries, enemies, taunting all the day long, saying, where is your God? So we live in that place of tension between the already and the not yet of our salvation. The already between the first coming of Jesus Christ into the world and his return to make all things right. But to all the world... I mean, we're living in that tension, and we feel that tension. To all the world, it seems perfectly obvious that Jesus is a myth. That he's not real. It's too distant in, in anyone's memory. 
to think to take it very seriously, his first coming into the world and his second coming? <laughs> Why hasn't that happened yet? It's obviously not going to happen, right? Where is your God? Where is he? You say he's there. Where? And our souls are in turmoil. And that can start to sound like a decent question. Where, where is he? The psalmist knows that God is the sovereign Lord over all things. That even if he is suffering, it hasn't been apart from God's plan, God's oversight, God's orchestration. It says in verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. Your breakers, your waves. Crashing down on me. I'm completely overwhelmed in the tumult of this life. And it's your doing. Thoughts about this God who is sovereign over everything in life can be both greatly comforting and deeply disturbing. Sometimes we're barely hanging on to the idea that, as in verse 8, the Lord commands his steadfast love. That's the, that's the principle of all of his sovereignty, all of his work in the world and in your life. He's commanding his steadfast love. He's doing what's good for you. We're, we're barely hanging on to that in our sufferings. It's a complete mystery to us why he'd be doing these things, how he could be doing these things, and it qualifies as his steadfast love. We trust God. We're calling out this, verse 8, this prayer to the God of my life. But it seems like all we've got basically amounts to just a fond memory, a distant memory. And maybe it's a memory that God doesn't even share. How's this for being conflicted in your relationship with God? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Or 43, verse 2, you're the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? I mean, do you know that tension? I don't think you're alone if you know that tension. Do you know that turmoil? Do you know that thirst? It's a thirst that... Sometimes, we're not sure we can stand much longer. It's a thirst that's made worse by the wilderness of this world. It's a thirst that threatens to drive us mad, drive us to distraction and desperation, because we're thirsty for a God whose works are so mysterious to us. We don't know what he's doing, why he's doing it. So our throats are parched for God. We're on the brink of dehydration and the only thing on, the, on our lips is the salt of our own tears. That's what it says. My tears have been my food day and night. That's bad when you're thirsty. Right? It's no achingly beautiful, bittersweet devotion being described here. It's, if I don't see his face, I'm not going to make it. And just to be very clear about the nature of of this spiritual thirst. The very essence of it. This is not a thirst for good things, for nice things, like a sense of purpose in life. I really want a sense of purpose in life. It's not a thirst for that. 
It's not a, a thirst for a sense of meaning to be found in the world, a sense of belonging, a thirst for a sense of significance or some fulfillment, satisfaction. It's, it's not a thirst for those things. It's not a thirst for something big and great that God is able to satisfy because it just so happens that he's the biggest and the greatest. My soul thirsts for God. This God who's made himself known. My soul thirsts for him. The living God. When shall I come and see the face of God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the face of my salvation and my God. Right? So that's the refrain. What you need when you're desperately thirsty for God in this world, in this life, is hope that you're going to praise God again, that you'll see his face in the next world, in the next life. And strangely enough, your hope for that future with God that's not here yet is grounded in the firm reality of what we already know about God. Right? So to, to look forward with hope, you've got to look backwards and see the reality of who he is and what he's done, what he's made known about himself, what kind of God he is, and what he's done for us in the gospel. This is not like some mirage in the desert when you're desperately thirsty and you start seeing things and the heat creates these waves on the horizon. It looks like an oasis that's just over the horizon. It holds out a false promise of water that's just beyond, always beyond the edge of your reach. God has given you sips of heaven before. He's sent heaven to earth before. So you know what he has in store for you. You do know that. It says in verse 4, These things I remember. Looking to the past, I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with God's people to the house of God. It's like heaven. Or in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. I remember who you are. I remember what you've done and what you've said and what you've promised. I'm grounding my hope in the reality, the concrete reality of history that you've demonstrated. So remember. Remember the good news. Remember. God has made himself known to you. Why? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. He's not abandoning you. Remember, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, up to death for your salvation. He did that. And he raised Jesus from the dead. And he exalted him to his right hand in order to assure you of his intentions for your resurrection, for your glory, for your eternal life with him. You've seen it happen already in Jesus. That's his intention toward you. Remember, God gave his spirit as the pledge of your complete restoration. He's given himself to you in the present and he will not withhold himself from you in the future remember God has created the church he's united us to one another in Christ and he's been at work in the community and the fellowship of believers to make us like an outpost 
of heaven on earth, the place where his glory dwells among his people. Remember, God has not only invited us to pray, to call on him, he's even provided the very language for us to do so when we wouldn't even have known how to express our thirst to him. He gives us these songs. By day, says in verse 8, Yahweh commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The God of your life will bring you to himself. The God of your life is the very one who teaches you how to pray for that. So we pray, and we pray along with the, the psalmist in 43, verse 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. It reminds me of um, Harry Potter uh, when Ron was separated from his beloved Hermione and he wanted desperately to get back to her and he had that he had Dumbledore's Deluminator and he clicked it and a little light came out and it plunged into his heart and it led him straight to his beloved. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> God has sent his light. God has sent his truth to lead us to himself. He sent his son. He sent his spirit. He's given us his scriptures so that we can preach the gospel to our own souls for the hope that we need in moments of distraction and desperation and thirst for God. That's what we're learning from a, a passage like this. Talk to yourself and remind yourself of the gospel. That's the light. That's the truth that will lead, lead you back to God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the face of my salvation and my God. What you need when you're desperately thirsty for God in this world, is hope that you will see God's face in the next. Are you thirsty for God? For the living God? If so, God is the one that gave you that thirst. That thirst for himself. God is the one who gave you this song to express that thirst to him. And God is the one who has promised that you'll drink your fill forever. You will. Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says again, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we say, what I really need, God, I'm really thirsty for Like, I need it or I'm going to die. What I really need is to be with you, oh God, where you live, in your dwelling place, playing music and singing and praising you. That's what I need. And I will praise you, oh God, my God. It's one of his last promises to us before the close of the scriptures in Revelation 22. It says, 
in the new heavens and the new earth, in that new city, Jerusalem, when we see God, it says His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the face of my salvation and my God. I'm going to close with a quote from Augustine. It's on the front of the bulletin. God has everything that will refresh you. He is able to fill anyone who comes to Him. This is what I'm thirsting for, to reach Him and to appear before Him. I am thirsty in my pilgrimage, parched in my running, but I will be totally satisfied when I arrive. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you meet all of us uh, where we are. Some of us might be in a place described by this song. Some of us might not. We pray that for all of us, you would embed uh, the truth of this scripture in our hearts so that whether we're using it now to express our thirst to you or whether that day will come uh, soon or later, uh, it will come sooner or later. And we pray that you'd help us, that you'd equip us to be able to express the thirst of our hearts to you, our thirst for you. We pray that you would give us a deeper thirst for yourself, as um, strange as that sounds a thing to ask, that you would make it so that uh, we would be desperate for you, that we would know that we cannot live without you, apart from you, that we would long for the day when we see you face to face. And we pray especially that you would help our souls to be comforted in the knowledge the sure knowledge, the sure hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day we will worship you, we will see you face to face, we will be in your presence forever, and all of our thirst will be slaked for eternity. We, we do look forward to that day and pray that it would come quickly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.